0: Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith and I am coming to you live from the Montreal Comedy Festival. It's not called that, it's called Just for Laughs, but it is the big comedy festival that's in Montreal and uh, it is so exciting. I'm having such a wonderful time here. I'm about to leave, in fact. I've, uh, I'm bringing you this episode recorded with the sensational Pete Holmes. It's going to change your life. This is um, this is up there with the Patton Oswalt one. I did at this festival three years ago. Um, it, I finished this with full room, Wonderful time. Pete was amazing from the off. Uh, you can hear at the beginning of this episode, at the beginning of the interview, he is so effusive and warm in his praise for me and his clear enjoyment of the questions I'm asking him that uh, I have to say, you can probably hear the bit where I relax and then suddenly remember oh god I, yeah, i've got to be paying attention to this because i was so busy basking so without further ado uh pete holmes is an incredible stand-up comedian uh, host of his own chat show he's also all over youtube if you you can fall into a wonderful and very very funny pete holmes vortex on youtube uh, with his he did stuff called the x-men where he plays uh, professor x sacking various members of uh, the x-men he's done some stuff i can't remember if it's called bad man or batman but it's like a an incredible 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 uh, web series of videos of him being uh, the, a sort of spin on uh, christopher nolan 's batman he 's also done he's responsible for crashing which if you 're not watching you have to get watching I jumped in on series two because that 's all I could find online but um, series one is out there if, in the UK if you can pay for it I think Amazon prime possibly and it is the story of him as uh, well it's it's you know it 's a fictionalized version of him as an open spot crashing on people 's couches uh, after a divorce uh, leads him into stand up for the first time and most episodes have i mean it's it's like an incredible version of like two different times uh, two different kind of realities of uh, making it as a stand-up in the states we'll talk about that a bit during the episode without further further ado this is pete holmes Let's start with "Dirty Clean." Let's oh. start with your uh, your latest. I believe this is your latest. Ooh. Ooh. An, an <laughs> applause <laughs> from the back. An I'm
1: glad applause. you can see that person as well because that seemed like something a ghost would do. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I am absolutely in love with this this I, I love it. I
1: think you have
0: you have an extraordinary ability to articulate the insanity of existence. Oh, thanks, man. Yes. The thing that I'm
1: most proud of in, in that special is, you know, what, what is left to talk about? Yes. Right? There's nothing left to talk about. And I sort of enjoy that as a challenge. So in, in the special, I started trying to do, and this is going to sound pretentious, <laughs> but I started trying to do jokes about consciousness. Yes. About, and I don't mean understanding consciousness, because good luck. Uh, I mean the phenomenon of consciousness that we're all experiencing right now. So the thing that's looking out your eyes right now. So I wanted to make jokes about how we're all going around embodying that mystery and acting like it's not a big deal at all. And that's, that is the funniest thing going to I me I
0: just I love it the idea of getting the audience to picture an orange yeah getting everyone to do it and then you hear everyone yeah. in the audience picturing an orange and then you're screaming what is that what the fuck happened
1: yeah and when we said orange a lot of you did see a translucent orange just bing, just for a second yeah. your brain goes like one of these remember like who the f- <laughs> who's running the store <laughs> who's talking to who something in there went to the observing presence awareness yeah this is what an orange is. Yeah. I, don't want you, I don't want you to look stupid, so beep, that's what that... Like, you can do it with other stuff, too. I never did this on stage, but, like, remember when I came up? Did I take the stairs, or did I just step up onto the stage? You guys were right there. Big step. How are you remembering that? Like, we do it so effortlessly and so mindlessly, and so do I, by the way. I'm not like, you idiots. We all do that. Like, you went back in your memory. It's like opening a cabinet. and you went, uh, you big step, and... <laughs> What I'm saying is everything is amazing and everything is miraculous. And the problem is is, is that saying that life is a miracle is something that Martha Stewart would say while tossing a salad, you know what I mean? Sure. sure. It doesn't mean it's not true. Yeah. So what I'm trying to get people to do, it's almost like a magic trick, is you're just like, how did you see an orange with your eyes open? How did you remember that? Because I want you to feel it. Or I say, it didn't make the special, but on some specials I would say, on some shows I would say, Try to feel your toes Like just And you send You can feel something Repelling down From your brain I
0: think that did make the special
1: Well I said you have to pee it's, Oh did the repelling it's funnier. bits That Yeah you're right. <laughs> you're right You're right You're right It's funnier to say Do you have to pee Because now You have to trick people I feel like, a, like You have to go like I'm talking about dicks and pusses And then It's interesting But really like, How do you know you have hands like Without Without moving them just kind of close your eyes and where are your hands? It's fucking trippy, man. <laughs> and I say this too, like people, it sounds like something, I'm not a big drug person, but it sounds like something you have to, if I was stoned, if we were all stoned, would be like, yeah, How do? Why, why do you have to be stoned to trip out on the fact that we're on a, a rock in space? And is this, it's fucking insane and no one's talking about it instead we build false realities i'll be you'll be Stuart. i'll be pete i'll do this i'll talk like this i'll wear this shirt i like that and i don't like that it's all fucking brain shit and then we have festivals to celebrate those false identities and we go around and we hire those false identities to please other false identities and the whole while and all of that is fine i'm not like saying we have to get rid of that but like there's a deeper reality obviously religion has sort of shit the bed on like exploring it that's why I'm trying to bring it into comedy and say like can't I understand there's so much that went wrong went sideways with religion but we're, we're, it's your birthright to wonder what's going on here and, and the thieves want to take away your wonder and say like of
0: course we're on a planet yeah where else would we be well where else would we be so, what's the what is the origin for you in terms of making this material? You said a moment ago that there's nothing left to talk about, so I wanted to talk That's about consciousness. Why. It does sound more like yeah. your basic state it of being is. is to be a seeker. I love that. This is a good podcast. I'm going to subscribe <laughs> to this podcast. It's
1: <laughs> a great question because I, I love it. I never ask questions like that. It's, you're better than me. <laughs> no, it's <I'm just> <laughs> good. What I'm saying, yes. it's boring. Nobody likes someone who's, like, trying to be cool. Nobody likes someone who's trying to be interesting. And particularly helpful with comedy, no one likes someone trying to be funny. Like, we usually call those people always on. What you do is what you do. You want to be as natural as a, uh, a stream going down a mountain. And that's what people are attracted to. It doesn't matter what you're trying to do. Comedy, comedy being a good partner, just be natural, be what you are and be comfortable in what you're doing. And I didn't, so it would be very bad advice if you went, what haven't people talked about? It's a a little too Vulcan for me. And you can feel that when certain comedians are doing material, in my opinion, that they're like, nobody's talked about this. And I'm like, all right, I'd rather hear what's overflowing out of your heart like overflowing out of your heart. And what overflows out of your heart, this sounds pretentious, is what you're putting in. If you read so much stuff about consciousness, if you spend so much time looking at a tree and trying to forget the word tree, which is all contemplation is, stop allowing your brain to run the show. Even the show, like there's there's different ways to experience this. You could be like, I agree. I don't agree. I like him. I don't like him. Like, it's a fucking trap. Like, life is going away while you're judging it, critiquing it, and analyzing it, basically taking mental pictures for later. So you can go to another show and go, this show was more fun than that show. That show was less fun than that show. Where the fuck is the moment? And the moment is such a shitty word. Where is life? Where is sex? Where is juice? I don't literally mean mashing genitals. I mean life, color, electricity. It's gone because you're always in your analytical mind. So if I'm reading that stuff constantly, Stuart, to answer your question, I don't have to try to make it come out in my comedy. It's going to come out in my comedy.
0: Yeah. Do you you have to try to make it palatable to an audience? Is there a reason why in Dirty Clean that stuff comes at the end of the show rather than at the beginning? Yeah. Another, no notes, just great questions coming.
1: <laughs> coming right off the hip. Eye contact when I need them, nods <laughs> not when I'm doubtful.
0: <laughs> Who are you? I'm you. We are <laughs> yeah, one. That's true, that's true. Well, that is true. Um, you're making it palatable. In terms of yeah. taking those, which is clearly a fascination of yours. It's something you're uh, absorbed in constantly. Yeah. And you want to talk about it and you want to tell people about right. your discoveries and you want to challenge them to make their own discoveries, but you presumably can't open with Picture yeah. and Orange. Or can you? Have you tried? If you go first
1: in a comedy club and you try and do Picture and Orange, you're going to do poorly. And when you're headlining, you're basically opening for yourself. So if I was doing uh, a club and I was the fifth com- comedian, I could absolutely open with picture in orange, what the fuck is going on here. Because everybody else was talking about how elusive the G-spot is. You know what yeah. I'm saying? <laughs> Not to put comedians down, but I love shitting on my own. We have a lot of, We have things that we like to talk about. And then if you can be different, then people will probably enjoy that. But you can't open with it if you're the first guy on your first special, especially if they don't know who you are. So you have to put it... I would say most comedians... I don't have too much evidence for this, but they're probably their most fragile but most interesting jokes are probably going to go around that three-quarter mark where you've you've proven to them. It's almost like the arc of an artist. You know, like Pollock used to paint photorealistic before he started doing that. So you want to... We, for some reason, talk about the analytical mind. I know, I just do that. You know what I mean, the specs. (laughs) For some reason, we wanted to appreciate... Uh, a very, very avant-garde modern style and it made it more important or more impactful to us because we knew he could have painted a bowl of fruit. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Sure. So you show that you can like do some pretty straightforward jokes like I can delight you, I want to delight you and then you're like right around here the three-quarter mark, here's the stuff that really I need you to be warm to hear it but it's my favorite stuff. And then for some reason, it, you always close with sex. I can never follow my own sex jokes. Just, because to, to say, to your point, you can do interesting sex jokes, but it's so relatable. Everybody... Has some sort of sexual experience, even if it 's no sexual experience
0: they 're still in a world that is very sexual the The end of that album is the stuff about porn, and yeah. you bridge into that stuff by to, with an amazingly original angle on porn, which is that it 's all happening in the past yeah, and you kind of look down on these porn performers because at the moment they 're thinking, oh, I wonder if hillary gets in that 's right and that, like i 've never heard that approach right. to that
1: subject before it 's like, okay so that 's the answer to your question is like if you want to do a joke about how we're, we're interacting with the past as if it's the present, about how your thoughts, even remembering a trauma, feels very real to you in your brain, like you remember a car accident your body r- responds. If you want to make that interesting, you talk about sex, and you say, porn is in the past. That's fucking crazy. The Porn is in the past. That was earlier. And I'm there with an iPad going... What if I was at the orgy? And my stupid ass meat puppet believes it. It buys it. It goes, someone's going to get pregnant. No one's here. No one is here. You know the the calories and the energy my body has to undergo to get the launch sequence happening? That's a Ray Romano line, the launch sequence. (laughs) I I footnote if I steal. (laughs) I realized after I said it but what I'm saying is that is here's, here's the beautiful answer to what I'm saying I think if you do comedy that is honest and, and, and flowing natural about your life it will be deep you know what I'm saying if we try to reverse engineer and write a deep joke it'll be effortful like someone trying to be cool like they're wearing sunglasses and smoking like 90's cool it's like fucking stop it just be yourself because like being a nerd is cool now you, you never know So, like, just do what is natural and that will be deep. So when I say, when I wrote that joke about porn being in the past, it was probably just like, that's funny. And then when you start to unpack it, you're like, isn't it weird that the brain can latch on to something that isn't happening and it'll be very real to your body? And that is a weird phenomenon of being alive. So it is deep, but I don't know if I necessarily wanted it to be deep.
0: And is that something that you have had to... Like how much of that is craft, and how much of that is instinct in terms of how you bring an audience along for that very wild ride i think
1: it's it's what it, the arc of a, a i've been doing comedy almost twenty years
0: now, and the first
1: ten years is so effortful and it's spent I spent a lot of my time studying a lot of other comics and, and analyzing specials, and even I would sometimes transcribe them and really try to understand just technically what was going on and then Again, it goes back to painting. It's like about learning all the rules and then learning when to break them. But it's also about kind of getting to a place where they're just happening naturally. Mm. You know what I mean? It's almost like an athletic event. You're just doing comedy. And what, it, this is going to sound pretentious, but like I do the comedy and like, it wakes me up at night. I'll just go like, that, that joke is, should go before this joke. And you just write it down like, or, or put it in my phone next to my bed. It's just showing up. At a certain point, it's sort of in your in your blood, and you don't have to try as hard to be like, well, where should this joke go? It'll find it'll it'll reveal where it should go.
0: I'm fascinated by the idea of transcribing specials. As yeah. a guest I had on the show, a brilliant comic from Venezuela called Ivana Aristegueta, who taught himself stand-up comedy by translating the great comedy routines into Spanish mm. in order to sort of explode the machinery of them and understand how they work. Yeah. How long did you actually do that for? Or, or what are some of the discoveries that you made in, in that industry. well I think it's a it's
1: it's a great idea and it's a terrible idea
0: yeah
1: um a lot of if you go to an open mic you'll see some people like me that are clearly studying the greats um, <laughs> and then they go to an open mic and you're like this is a different world you're on a different planet so like one of the ones that I transcribed was um Seinfeld's I'm telling you for the last time and it opens with um his first joke he does a little crowd work there's two different versions, it doesn't matter. The first joke is that he says, What's what's with the cab drivers in the BO, right? And it gets you know, I would rank the, the laugh. It got like a six, you know what I mean? Go to an open mic and say what's with the cab drivers in the video. Like, please, I wanna I wanna film it. <laughs> I wanna sit and film it and watch it every night. Like the grinch, like an evil comedy grinch, and just laugh at how badly. I'm not saying it's not funny, it is funny. I'm saying in that moment, there's the excitement that there's Seinfeld, he's being Seinfeld. He just said, What's with the cab driver? That's the most Seinfeld Seinfeld that's ever Seinfelded. <laughs> And it's a joke, and the audience is trying to prove in this beautiful theater that they're a good audience. Yes. We're the one that you should use There's for There's loads special. of context going There's on. There's too it. much happening. Yeah. It's, it's the same with any of the greats. It, if you watch their specials, something else is happening that isn't going to be your experience. But I also, it's also kind of a bad idea because, you know, I, I think that what, one of the things that makes comedy so, this is going to sound, so interesting to me is that it's an unwinnable game, and it's it's like I guess I don't play golf, but I think what makes people interested in golf is it's always different, it's always changing, it's always growing. It is like love making a little bit. There's always a new book about the uh, the the science of laughter. They're like, oh, a joke is a benign violation, and, and this and that. And, and timing is, you know, betraying your heartbeat or something. I don't know.
0: <laughs>
1: There's a certain rhythm established by your heartbeat that they're betraying. And then that's all fine. I actually have gotten some value out of some of those studies. And the whole time I'm going like, yeah... And an erection is when blood and semen floods from the testes into the shaft. You know what I mean? You're not going to tell me how my daughter was conceived with that. You understand? Like, it's a different thing. You're not going to tell how time stopped. And, and, and in, the, in the great moment, I'm not trying to be crass, in the great sexes that you've had, something greater than the sum of the parts was going on. And we can analyze it and we can study it and we can graph it. But ultimately, we're talking about, like, a pretty incredible phenomenon that's occurring that's always going to change. Sometimes the joke is just that that is what the joke is. That, that you know, that, I guess that is a benign violation. If I'm doing my special and I'm doing a stupid joke, the joke is that even at my special I'm doing a stupid joke and that's a benign violation and therefore it's a uh, laugh. That's, so that's the value I get. But I'm always, like, I'm a mystery guy. There's always going to be something mysterious why is Zach Galifianakis so funny when he just says, Hi, I'm Zach. You know, I'm talking about offstage. Mm. Like you just want to laugh. How is that a benign violation? Like, get out of here. Magic is real. <laughs>
0: <laughs> have, have you always been the, uh, that kind of wonder-filled, kind of joy-filled seeker? Or is that something that you, when you started off in comedy you maybe didn't know what your voice was and now you can comfortably look back and go, oh, I'm this guy. I'm the, I'm, that's, that's I, the flavor of thing I do.
1: I love that question too. I, one of the reasons, one of the things that I wanted to show in Crashing, it's so funny, we all, we had to, the TV show that I did, we had to artificially kind of recreate the, the comedy scene of, of the early 2000s to the mid 2000s, basically, 2010s, where comedy just was
0: super, super, super like rough. Like it was rough. As a lifestyle, do you mean, or as a as I art? just
1: mean the other comedians, like the, yeah. the style of jokes, the style off stage. Like I understand and I can appreciate that people talk about the table at the cellar now. Like people yeah. write things, and I, I get it. If if people are offended, that's their right, and I'm like, yeah, I was. Uncomfortable and offended for a decade, and 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 th- I'm not saying like just deal with it. That's not my message at all. I'm just saying like it was worse. <laughs> yeah, like it was worse. If that's bad, it was worse. And to all we had in our pockets were um, Seinfeld, Ellen, Romano, Cosby. I know, I understand. Um, but we had a few touchstone people. But the the winds of comedy, like the first time I did this festival even, the winds of comedy, which was 10 years ago, was still kind of like, no, that guy that, you know, talks about queef blood, you know, that's, that's the guy. And like, there was still sort of a feeling, by the way, I love dirty comedy. This is not to judge dirty comedy. I'm just saying we still were kind of on the outside. The Sweeties, the Sweeties were weird. Mulaney was weird. Yeah, like it was okay. weird when Burbiglia started playing the cellar. That's where the table. That was weird. Yeah, like it was weird that the guy from NPR was at the comedy cellar,
0: and there and we all talked about it. Is the Sweeties just a name you've made up now, or is that? Yeah, the Sweeties. I'm... <laughs> is that like a movement? We'll there's look any back high-ranking it? It executives we're, we're gonna pitch the Sweeties. <laughs> yes. um, who else do you Mulaney Burbiglia? Who else is of that ilk? Do you think at the time? Well, those are the two friends of mine that
1: I was really, like, drawn to because I was like, these seem like my kind of guys.
0: In in that they were sweet-natured in what they were doing?
1: Yeah. um, We used it in Crashing. It was something I had heard people say in different places, different versions. Um, Christian Finnegan is is one of the people that I heard talking about this in an interesting way. There were the comedians that got bullied, and then there were the comedians that bullied. Mm and and i enjoy both of those styles of comedians i really do but i was a comedian that got bullied and i found the other comedians that got bullied and the fact that we're here in montreal and like i look at the roster and it's all comedians that got bullied <laughs> i'm like <"Ha-ha!"> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there is but this, something changed culturally. Fallon, Colbert, Corden—Are you fucking shitting me? He still gets bullied. <laughs> like I'm saying, like it changed. It changed. Every look to late night, look to who's doing the stuff. Like it changed. There, there were always people like that, like Shandling and Seinfeld. Like I said, like these, these were of that ilk. But coming up, it's it's kind of hard to imagine, but it felt weird to be trying to be a little bit sweeter or cleaner or whatever
0: you yeah. say. Yeah, because the... And this is something that really is articulated very well in Crashing, that the idea of the comics table and every comic watching that knows who they were in that dynamic... Yeah. when the new, the new act is in the dressing room and the headliner won't give them the time of day and then the new act does well and then suddenly the headliner is friends with them and is prepared yeah. to, yeah. you know, take their foot off the gas. How, how do you personally feel about that aspect of comedy culture? Because I suppose when I was newer, I sort of felt like, oh, well, I suppose I've got to take my knocks. And now I'm a bit more inclined to think, fuck off. Just be, just be sociable. Give someone the time of day.
1: Yeah, I hear that. Uh, I think... Comedy is a craft and there's something that I really enjoy. I can I can be a guilty enjoyer of the of the knocks that you have to take. In fact, I'm 40 now. I catch myself sounding like Andy Rooney sometimes and I talk about the young comedians. I just had a very emphatic conversation with another comedian about my age, a, a successful guy and we were just going like, there's no struggle. There's no struggle. Like because yeah. now if you're pretty funny, I'll hire you. Like, you're going to be hired. Like, comedy is, is big enough that, like, you won't have... We all had the 10 years of anonymity. Yeah. And now I feel like it's not bad. I wouldn't change it. But it does sort of change the taste of, of what I think you're talking about. The rite of passage style of comedy is different. And it should be different. Burn it all to the ground. It's all fucking nonsense. It's all make-believe. But what you're talking about is we were playing a different game. We were make-believing a different game, yep. which was like I really want to earn the respect of my peers and they're going to tease me and be mean to me and they're going to make me work it. And, and until I can crush on stage, they won't even look at me. That's fine. That's bullshit. And, and what we're doing now is bullshit. It's all, it's all a game.
0: Did, did it have a value? Is there some aspect <laughs> to which putting up with, learning to cope with, because we see Show Pete in Crashing get a few laughs of of his own out of the table. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, is is there a value to that, that by running the gauntlet every night, you do become socially faster? That gives you an extra edge?
1: I'm inclined to agree with that. It's a little boy named Sue. You know that Johnny Mm, Cash song? It's a little boy named Sue. Like, they were being assholes because they loved us and they wanted to teach us to be, like, sharp. Um, I don't know if everyone's doing it, in that Mr. Miyagi sort of way <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. I think some of them are just pieces of shit And I knew a guy that was like I'm mean to the new guys Because if you quit It's one less person competing with me He said that to me Yeah, He's dead now <laughs> um, <laughs> He is dead um, It was him clapping in the back earlier Remember my ghost joke? Uh, then where were you? <laughs> That's such a comedian joke Of course you like that Then where were you? See, that's kind of funny Audiences sometimes like it when you're rough with them And comedians, it, there is sort of like a, a sparringness to it It's a little bit athletic And again, I, I'm saying it's athletic for the second time And maybe that's what we don't like about it It would be nice to just be nice to each other But comedy does It's very, very difficult And uh, it's very lonely and the audiences, the only people that have really hurt me in comedy are audiences. Like, and I would say this Bobby Kelly could burn my outfit forever. I'll, I forgot what he said. I remember Cleveland in 2003. Sure. <laughs> like, I remember the faces of the audience members that I've... I, I see them like a retired cop that sees the faces of the people that he's killed. Like, no, no. Like, I see people shaking their heads and going, what? Like, I see that. So there is an element, and there is some truth to if you can't handle this... How are you going to handle the the shit you take on a sit? Which is from Glengarry Glen Ross, a movie that all true comedians love. Because we are like salesmen and it is brutal out there. So yeah. there is... The, there are different scenes, right? There's the club scene, there's the alt scene, and there's something that I call the treehouse scene. The treehouse scene is neither scene. It's just people sort of propping up shows for themselves. And it's very loving. I love the treehouse scene. I would drop How do it. you mean?
0: What, what does that mean, propping up shows for themselves?
1: Literally, like you and me, only perform at this one place once okay. a week. Yeah. It's our only show. And it's like a treehouse. It's great. And we all watch each other and laugh. They're rare and yeah. support. You don't want to get stuck in some sort of idyllic... Nightmare It's like Black Mirror It's like It's the perfect show Yeah You gotta leave The Shire Frodo You gotta get the fuck Out of here Then there's the club And and those are You know Those are like the dwarves If we're gonna stay In Lord of the Rings And they're drinking Their beer And they're And they have their axes And it's all about Whether or not You can kill And Yeah 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 And then there's The alt scene And they're the fucking elves Right They're fast And they're clean And they're sort of dainty And uh and they're going. smart. who's Gandalf?
0: <laughs>
1: we shall be Gandalf. No, I,
0: um,
1: Gandalf is like, who's, Seinfeld's Gandalf. Yeah, <laughs> Comedians in wagons talking to hobbits. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but you want to be able, I saw this from Burr, Bill Burr. You want to do all of them. Here's the, the one that I say often is, is that the clubs are weights, And the alt room is is cardio. And I don't work out, but here we go. (laughs) You don't want to be one of those muscly guys that can't move. And you don't want to be one of those fast guys that can't fucking lift anything. You know what I'm saying? So the gruffness and the... I wouldn't change anything, but I wouldn't change anything pretty much anywhere. I I like the ugliness and the conflict and the strife and and even some of the, the toxicity... Because I love comedians, and they're and we're troubled weirdos, and we say strange things. And when I'm with them, I feel at home. Like I love it. I love like when I start hanging out with a comedian, I just go like you you almost you start speaking in Klingon, basically. <laughs> like it just happens, and it, and it's the greatest privilege of my life. It's not the specials. It's not the access. It's not fame or anything. It, I, I, those are great things, but it's like. You're in a world and they accept you that you can just come up and just start talking pure. Pure. It's very confusing. <laughs> the writer's room in Crashing, I had to tell them, I was like, look, it's going to get weird in here. Because when I'm, you're my brain. And when I'm writing a script, if I think something fucked up, I don't take 15 minutes to talk about it or apologize for it. We don't go around in a circle to be like, how did you feel when Pete did that weird Italian accent? We don't do that. You got to keep moving. And I need the faucet on. And ugly shit's going to come out. Stupid shit's going to come out. Inappropriate shit's going to come out. And so is some fucking tingling, gorgeous, unbelievable gold that's going to make people shit their pants. And that doesn't come out unless the other stuff comes out. And comedians and artists know that. So when we hang out and you say something fucked up, we don't stop. We go, yeah, every fucking nun in the world sometimes is pouring cream in her coffee and goes, I don't care for the Dominicans. Like she just thinks that. (laughs) She just thinks it. She didn't even give the order. It just came out. And we all know that feeling. That's part of the thing of having the brain it's 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 the fallout for having a brain you're going to go around and judge everything you're going to start judging things you shouldn't judge it's it's just like you can't have it one way and not the other so comedians are sort of like okay i'm stuck in this you're stuck in that and we get to talk and it's beautiful
0: So this is Pete. I mean, come on. This is phenomenal. I'm not going to talk to you for long now. We'll dive straight back in. Uh, just to say, I wanted to say some quick thank yous to everyone at uh, Just for Laughs, who's looking after me, uh, Monica Sharma, uh, everyone at the front desk that I hung out with, fabulous Zoe Rabnett, uh, and Tim, and uh, and everyone that's, that's just made this such an exciting thing. I've been here with loads of um, uh, British and Australian comics, and uh, the old Kiwi guy, Comedy, sneaking in there um and uh i've just had such a brilliant time seen some great stuff as ever and and this is the uh, i love to be able to point this out now that the episodes are safely in the can and backed up uh we have coming up for you over the next few weeks i will measure these ones out because none of these other guests are doing the edinburgh festival so i'm going to try and uh i will deprioritize releasing those episodes until such time as i've kind of promoted and boosted as many Edinburgh-bound people as possible. Um, but we've got sensational episodes for you with Chris Fleming. Um, you can check out his stuff online anytime you like. And you, again, that's a, a wonderful rabbit hole of uh, online content you can fall down. Matt Besser, who is a, a brilliant comedian and improviser, he is uh, in a former life. He founded the Upright Citizens Brigade. He's one of the co-founders of the UCB. And he is also uh, a really enjoyably irascible character that we, uh, I mean, He basically gives us the how-to of... American style improv and it's like it's like getting it's like the Matrix you'll just get you'll listen to that episode and go oh, I know improv but you won't and that's the point point. Um, and also just recorded earlier today just a few hours ago Heath McIver you probably won't know that name but he is the guy behind Randy the Puppet uh, who's an award nominated superb international puppet comedian uh, who is just you know can absolutely go toe to toe with any stand up comedian he's a phenomenal little purple bug eyed guy and Heath never appears as himself and it's very difficult to find even a photograph of the two of them together Uh, Heath broke his lifelong rule to share with me with us uh, this exclusive interview about what it's like being under the puppet, and the circumstances in his life at the moment, the ongoing sort of journey of discovery, uh, which has allowed him to relax that previous rule from what he's not going to start going around doing interviews. This is a very, very exclusive, special thing, and uh, it's, it's another blinder of an episode. So, I am about to get on a plane. I've got these three or four uh, WAV files burning a hole in my laptop. And as soon as my feet hit the ground, I'm off to Edinburgh and there's loads more Edinburgh stuff to tell you about, which I will do in the coming weeks. If you are at the Edinburgh Festival, please do come along to see Primer, my work-in-progress show, 3pm daily at the Monkey Barrel, as you well know, apart from a double day off in the middle where I fly back home, hold my children and weep. Uh, That is everything for now. That's all the information you need. Please don't miss crashing. It's sensational. As soon as I can get hold of Series 1 somehow, I'm going to start at the beginning and hoover it up. That's everything. Is that everything? Let's get back into this. This is Pete Holmes. How do you populate the writer's room for Crashing? How do you choose the, the writers that you, that you have in there? I noticed um, Beth Stelling and Ian yeah. Edwards, they jumped out on a particular episode as an associate writer.
1: Yeah, Beth is incredible. You want, ideally for me, I want to find people who represent perspectives that I don't have. I'm looking for that just in my life. My wife, Val, is constantly saying, like, you should uh, reconsider what you just said. Like Just us talking. Because talk about talking honestly. I talk incredibly honestly with my wife. And she'll go like, I think that's a privileged thought. Or something mm. like that. And again, I'm 40 and I'm starting to calcify. We're all turning into our fucking dads.
0: <laughs> it's just how it
1: was when I was a kid. Yeah, well, that was make-believe. And this is just fucking catch up. You know what I'm saying? So my wife helps me with that. And you want that in the room. You don't want, like, Jamie Lee and Beth... You don't want to write an episode about the Me Too thing, basically, if you can't, about what it's like to be a woman in a comedy club. You don't want me and judge just going like, hmm,
0: <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Have you Have you done that in the past, though? I noticed, I, I only really uh, watched the Pete Hunt show in the YouTube clips. Yeah. Um, and uh, so many of them... Oh, read there school. was never a show. <laughs> <laughs> was only on YouTube. But there, so many of them spoke to me. So many of the X-Men... Yeah. Clips, you know, they're, they're so specific. I'm like, oh my yeah. God, it's Professor X firing Gambit, and I understand every breath of this. Yeah. And then I did look on the Wikipedia page earlier, and I was like, oh, that was an entirely male writers' room for yeah, that, that show. Was it? Well, Jamie was on that show. Jamie is a man's name, and I would not have known. Ah, uh, it's a reverse gotcha. Sorry.
1: Is he called <laughs> Jamie? I love how you guys say called.
0: I'm sorry. Is he called Jamie?
1: I know it's probably not. Say called. Cool? We don't say that. Why not? We just say is that Jamie you, the st- do they go by Jamie you go is he called Jamie oh. I never noticed that. I also love this on the phone you go is that Troy I love that what is it what would you do I don't understand what the alternative is sorry is this Troy you just three words you, is that Troy
0: you hang up without saying goodbye do you do that in real life or on well, your that's TV movies. is that just movies
1: yeah who has the time <laughs> I've learned those things are to get page countdown because you'll always have some producer that's like this is a nine page scene and I'm yeah. like who can't? I don't get me started.
0: Come on, wrote, let's get some you crashing. crashing. What are you talking there. about?
1: Literally, don't get me. It's such it's such <laughs> car- uh, crashing. Producer that I met earlier on. Do I have your permission to get pieces? Well, he, that's Josh Church who was a producer on our show and he knows this, so I understand. TV production, as far as I can tell is you know when you go to a crowded restaurant and there's a maitre d' and every table is taken and you go uh, table for four and they go okay I, I we'll call you when it's ready and then you say how long will it be and then they look at the restaurant and go 22 minutes that's what TV production is is someone looking at my script sorry I'm getting I get, no, I no, get no. weird about it it's, it's my script and they go this is going to take this long to shoot And I'm like, you just went like this. Like, you don't know how long I taught. Well, a minute is a page. A page is a minute. Uh, A minute is an hour. It's like, we would strip down scripts, cutting out all those goodbyes, cutting out all those riffs that I know I'm just going to be forced to remember because we had to cut them out. (laughs) <laughs> and now I just have my small script in my page for production. We cut it to a two-page scene because that's what the day would allow. And now I'm just remembering the other four pages we cut and improvising it, and it makes the show let the script be fifty pages if we want it to be. Yes. It doesn't it's just two people talking in a cafe. We're gonna do it. <laughs> Josh was on my side and I, I sympathize with production they have a day to
0: make they, they're, they're dealing with tens of thousands of dollars but I'm just like it's so you need to find freedom within that in order that you can be creative yes. and funny you can't it's do it's like it. when we do
1: stand up and they're like what are you going to open with and I just want to be like you'll hear it when I say it like, <laughs> like you know what I mean it would be, it, again it's like sex it's like well what, what position are you going to start with <laughs> I'm going to read the room <laughs> I'm, I''m I'm gonna kind, you know, you feel there's info in the kiss. The kiss says there's something in the kiss that says start this way. Yeah. And you do. Yeah, but how many pumps are you gonna be there? Yes. However many it takes <laughs> Between nine and twelve, <laughs> you refer, you understand, I'm just saying show business is the materialization of a dream. So there's gonna be some hiccup. So deep respect. again it's not them but to the producers that had to say cut your fucking script down Mm -hmm. it could easily be them sitting here and being like these fucking writers but you know I'm the one that's flying the kite into the black hole of my past and my subconscious and pulling it back and taking the content off of it and steam cleaning it for television like let me have a six page thing It's the most dense metaphor I think I've ever (laughs) heard yeah Yeah. Yeah. suddenly we're
0: steam cleaning it let's just talk about the writing for a second because uh, and to come back to dirty clean there's a section where you're talking about falling asleep and the, the moment where you fall asleep yeah. the moment where you and i think the line is something like you you sort of fall into the embrace of the dark soil yeah. you know that's like this real poetry
1: yeah that that's when you die
0: oh is that the death okay
1: i say if you die and it's just over who cares i say i'm not af- i'm not afraid of nothing I'm afraid of an afterlife scenario that's unpleasant. Yeah. Like, if you just swan dive into the deep, dark soil, like,
0: great. <laughs> just unplugging a TV, great. When does the, the poetry of that line, when does that come? Does that just come out on stage? Does that accompany yeah. the thought, or does that come in a sort of redraft kind of project? No. When I was starting, I used to look at comedians like me, and I
1: was like, what an idiot. Um, it's, it's all little notes. You If there's a turn of phrase, like I have a joke right now about how I'm a new dad and um, I really want to, I'm, I'm working hard to bond with my daughter. I'm like, because dads can go either way. Moms kind of start out ahead because they're their first apartment. You know, so uh-huh. you like the mom. Moms are all smooches and eye contact and baths in the sink. You know, that's fucking mom. Dad's out stepping on a ladder, you know, like, cleaning out the gutters. It's like, hire a guy and learn about your child, you know? It's like that. (laughs) So none of that is written down anywhere. And then one night you'll be, like, you're on stage, and I'm just thinking about my dad. I'm like, Dad smells like original Listerine, (laughs) you know, And you (laughs) say it. And it works in the context of the bit. And then you just write that line down. So when I first started just as I transcribed other people's specials, mine were written out with, a, with a, par- a new paragraph for a pause. It would be like, I just bought a paper shredder, came with a manual, that was the first to go. Like that is just, yeah. you can see that. Sure. I love that a paper shredder even came with a manual. Because I just plugged it in, put in the manual, like, if this doesn't shred, I'll take a look. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> That's how I used to write. That was written in a Word document called Paper Shredder, in a folder <laughs> called New Material. And I would look at it, and I'd print it out, and I'd memorize it, I'd rehearse it. And now what you're looking for is a joke that you care so much about. I care so much about bonding with my daughter. And if you're looking at that joke a little bit deeper, I have so much anger, as a lot of us do. So it's not like my dad was abnormal, that my dad wasn't there, he was working. It's not like he was off doing something inappropriate. But, like, it was me and my mom. So there's this, like, emotional tie to it. So no one needs to tell me how to talk about that. And then you go up and you're, like, you trust that you're a funny person and that you'll say something like, Dad's off stepping on a nail on Christmas Eve. You know what I mean? And and you'll find the humor in it. But what really... What lit me up in the first 10 years of comedy was something that I thought would make an audience laugh. And what really lights me up in the second 10 years of comedy is something that I just, I'll never have to write it down. I will not forget how I feel about Waze. There's that joke about Waze. I just was talking so much about it, how much I hate the app Waze, <laughs> that I was like, I can do this. And I, it's, it's not that I don't want to memorize it. It was Louis, again, hello. Um, but Louis talked about how the right side of the brain dictates and the left side of the brain communicates. And I want to stay in the, in the left brain. I want to be communicating the joke. Again, this is why I keep talking about sex or music. It's supposed to be organic or the the thing flowing. I want to stay in the place where with this audience, with you guys, I'm trying to communicate this idea in real time, in reality to you now and make it happen now. I don't want to just say, I bought a
0: paper shredder. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) So where, is, where does the work come now? Is the work mostly removing the obstacles between you and the most natural expression of the most natural thought? I think the work, again, great question. The work is, if you want to have
1: authentic uh, art, to try and live in the most authentic reality you can and surround yourself with people that are greenlighting your attempt to be a vulnerable open, honest, curious, inquisitive, growing human being. Then it's not like you start doing that in your comedy. You just are it. You just just be that. And if there are people in the way, get them out of the way. Just break up with a friend or two. Because this one, like, stops me. This one stops me. Did you me. do that?
0: Have you done that? I broke it, yes.
1: It's, it's a crazy thing to do, but you're just like... Uh, when I'm with you I feel small when I'm with you I feel like I felt in high school for some reason and you know you, sometimes you talk about it and you, you, it's amicable but like the people that are in my life are green light people and they're beautiful people and they're artists and they're creative and they inspire me so then that that I think is the biggest thing it, you, I used to confuse it for like you gotta you gotta sit down and, and write and I think that's a great way to get a good habit going and now I'm like I need to keep my antenna clean. I need to be, like, in the moment. Everything creative happens in the moment. So the more time that I can spend there with a clean antenna and some humility, that this shit is just going to show up. Like Tom Hanks, like a new box is just going to get washed up on the shore. That's how I work now. It comes to you through practice. You're kind of, like, getting your, your temple clean and then... God shows up, you know what I mean? Like you're waiting, you're getting everything you can do on your end, and that actually involves some pretty lame things, in my opinion. You know, like trying to be healthy, trying to get rest, trying to have love, have relationships, have things in your life that aren't related to comedy. That's gonna lame stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, I guess what's lame is like I'm supposed to be like you know, smoke weed every day. It's like no, like I, I I need sharpness, I need clarity. I smoke weed
0: sometimes, but I. I, I want to be clean. And then it shows up. I was listening back to an old episode of You Made It Weird, the one with Tenacious D. Mm-hmm. And in it, there was a, before the interview started, you were doing an ad for a product called Charlotte's Web, which is like CBD oil. Yeah. And you were saying that you use it every day. Uh-huh. Was that that time in your life? Is that continued? I don't consider CBD
1: an intoxicant. I'm not just saying that because sure. they're an advertiser. I, it's real. If it was, I would not take it every day. I take a very low dose, what I would call sub-perceptual. And it is, sub perceptual in it. So I don't take CBD every day. When I was doing crashing, I did every day because I was very, very stressed. And that's probably when I was recording that or around the time we were still editing it or whatever. So when I was working a lot, a lot, a lot, I was definitely taking it every day. But it was never something that I could pinpoint. There it is, other than I felt a little bit more relaxed. But I could could see how by promoting CBD it sounds like I'm also probably smoking weed all the time. But I'm actually pretty, I call myself a comedy conservative. I'm like, you should like, you should work. You should, even though I I don't write particularly, I'm like, you should do whatever it is that you need to do to make new material. You should get out there. You should be coming up with ideas. And, and I, I didn't get into this to party. I didn't get into this to get laid. I didn't get into this to be famous. But, and what, what did you get into it for? Because it's what got... It. It's, oh, it's so lame. It's what got into me. That's what it, it's what it is. That's why when people are like... I always say, follow the dream that's following you. Comedy was following me. It was following me. You can't... You get feedback from your dream. I see so many people that are like, I'm going to be a comedian... Oh, why? You wanna sleep in all day and get thousands of dollars to be adored? That's not how it works. Like, this stuff better have crawled up your butt and opened like an umbrella. Otherwise, you're fucked. It's gonna be hell, yeah. I met people that would straight up tell me I'm doing this, I wanna be famous. I wanna be a famous person. They're all gone. They're all gone. That third show in Iowa City, you're fucking gone. You're gone. Get out of my fucking house. You never belonged here. And then those people sometimes get rich and famous, but that's, they're just doing what they wanted to do. They're doing what they had to do. It hurts to not do comedy. Like, my wife, this one of the greatest things about her, I don't perform, when I'm in L.A., I perform maybe twice a week. It's not that much. But if I don't do those twice a week my wife will notice, and she'll go, like, you need to do a set. She'll notice because we'll go to a restaurant and I'm not able to tune the people out around us. You hear this fucking... <laughs> I can't. This fucking guy just called P's Piaz.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: I said, I'm going to get a side of Piaz. I heard him say it. And I can't... I can't be. So I, then I come home from doing comedy... And I always say the same thing to my wife. I say, I don't know what other members of my family are doing. I don't know what the world is doing, but I earnestly pray that other people can find the thing that was chasing them because you'll know it because it it feels like being at home. All comedians are anxious. We're all uncomfortable at parties. But then after a set, I don't want to cheapen it by saying it's like Xanax or something but you're not worried about anything Mm. you just you're like a wave you were a wave and after the set you're the sizzle of it pulling back you just got what you needed and I'm a big believer in leaning into your dysfunctions is it super healthy is it like the highest point of a mountain to, to enjoy being adored or to be heard maybe not maybe it would be great to just be like I don't need that I can think a funny thought and just that's enough. (laughs) I made Chuck laugh. You know what I mean? That was Chuck. (laughs) Who fucking cares? We all have our shit. Can you take your shit and and work with it? I hate to quote Jesus, but I'm going to. He says, let the weeds grow with the wheat. Christianity has become about willpower and denial. Jesus said, Let the weeds grow with the wheat. That's weeds and wheat. Because if you pull the weeds, you're gonna pull the weed, right? So work with your shit. Work with all of it. And I'm working with some narcissistic tendencies, some needs for approval that probably deeply rooted in my childhood. Who cares? I used it and made something that matters to people sometimes. Not everybody, but to some people it's beautiful. To some people, they feel how I feel. It's, it's mutually beneficial. They both get the sizzle. They laugh and the world's less scary. We're on a rock, but it's okay because he just talked about an app that I also don't like. And we all, we all sleep a little better and someone cuts you off in traffic and maybe you're a little more likely to be patient because you're
0: not as fucking stressed. That matters. And it came from shit, but it became a flower. Do, do you find that of your own material? Do you find that the journey of writing the material that you have written and performing that material night after night and getting that stuff off your chest almost, yes. do you, does that have a healing effect? It does.
1: And that's why, you know, it's funny, we have therapists, some of us have therapists, so we don't lose friends, right? So you, <laughs> because there's certain friends that if you tell them one more time about that breakup... yeah. They, they can't. I'm sorry, Julie. I can't. <laughs> so you hire someone with a degree to listen to you every time you want to talk about your mother or every that relationship or whatever. So similarly, when I was growing up, I was too much. I still am. Like, I understand. Like, I, I, that's something that I just know. Sometimes I, my manager is here. I sometimes say to him, I'm like, I'm not for everybody. I understand. I'm also seeing what's happening. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, I see Pete, too, and I completely understand from an impartial place, like, yeah, I could see how someone would be like,
0: pass. Because, because, for why? Because you're too much? Because you get
1: because into things? So before stand-up, that energy had nowhere to fucking go. Yeah. And then stand-up is like, you'll sit and watch me exercise my own exorcise, my own neuroses, my own fear and everything. You'll even watch me delight in something or share my joy and then I can actually, the greatest achievement of my life is to be able to hang out I told you I do two sets a week that's a fucking miracle you know what I mean because I measure my success by how much I can balance something as strange as being a lion tamer and having a life. That's why my heroes Seinfeld is a hero Bill Burr is a hero. The, the guys that could find clearly other things, they are a werewolf, but they figured it out. There's a full moon on Thursday. I'll be in Vegas at the Palm at nine, and I'll, he'll eat all the chickens, and everyone will cheer, and I'll come back home a man, and there'll be a, a feather behind my ear, and, oh, sorry, sorry about that. <laughs> That's wonderful. There'll be a little blood on my shirt.
0: Oh, <laughs> it was a good show. <laughs> that, that is the key. That seems like that's the answer to how to be a happy comedian, the that's separation it. of those things. Right. I think some of
1: us mistake it for, like, once you're in, just suck up as much of it as you can until you explode. And I, I, I'm of a... It's, it's, a trickier ga- it's a trickier game to play, but if, you're, if you want to be a little bit like Batman, Batman Bruce Wayne... There's a lot of comparisons I can make. But if you want to have the double life, I think that's where it's at. And then, you know what? Something beautiful starts to happen is it is all one thing. I used to really feel like when I got on stage, I was like, time to like slip into my persona. It's it's just, it's become more and more honest as as, as your lives bleed.
0: As someone who is very honest on stage, your persona, and part of why it's so wonderful to watch, is your honesty about how... I don't even know what the word is, but, you know, your nature. You're in touch with your nature. Like, you have a line about, um, uh, this is the only universe in which I'm not a youth pastor. Yeah. You know, like, that, that sense... Apologies
1: for, you know... Uh, wow. All I thought was, that's how short that joke could be?
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: I had all these other parts. <laughs> but
0: that, that, that understanding of who you are, like, when you started comedy, did you have like a desire to be cool and have to overcome that in order to be honestly your kind of wondrous nice self. Like that, nice isn't a prized no, quality, it, is it?
1: That came later, and, it came, and I'm always happy to share this because it came from other people. Um, so one of the great things, one of the reasons why Montreal is incredible is because we're all these fucking hit men and women that are all going around sniping things and then we every once in a while we get to come and be together. And sometimes we get to tour together, and and that's important. Like, we need these councils. <laughs> like, we need to meet up and talk and share. And, and one of the reasons is because you need, sometimes you need an expert's opinion on how you come off. You don't really know. I'd like to think I know now, but I, I'm not sure. Uh, and, and before you're ma- married or whatever... Other comedians can fill that role. So I was checking into a hotel. With, uh, I was on the road. It was actually me... I think it was Mulaney. It might have been Amy Schumer. We were doing this little tour. And we were all going into a, a hotel. And I... They said, one of the rooms we have is a non-smoking queen. And I went, that's me.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's not the most appropriate joke, but again, I was with comedians. And John Mulaney said... You're like a fun dad Yeah He's like that's a joke A dad would make You're like a fun (laughs) Dorky dad And then And you'll hear this With comedians obviously I know a lot of you Are comedians Or in the the biz Or whatever You hear comedians Say all the time I go can I have that I didn't even laugh Or not laugh I went can I have that And can I have that Is super powerful and, And good advice To not be embarrassed Of your can I have that um, it's permission I just, I, said, I just did a show recently And uh, a guy gave me a, a line And I did Recently, you know what I'm saying So I'm still saying, can I have that um, I'm trying to remember who it was Chris Fairbanks Chris Fairbanks heard my closer And he gave me a new line And it made it ten times better And I was just like, okay I, So I was like, can I have that? I was like, of course And I was like, are you sure? It was incredible that we still do that Mulaney called me Um, a fun dad Josh Lieb a writer that I was with said you're like a youth pastor and I'd always known that but I didn't know other people saw a youth pastor when they saw me (laughs) so then I just started saying it and everyone's laughing and you're like this is amazing so and then slowly just by virtue of what you're putting in affecting what comes out that's where the positivity and the wonder and the niceness started to come out you just start seeing, like, then your audience changes. You start drawing more people, and then you kind of feel their feedback. When you're being a certain way, they like it, and then you're just going to end up kind of leaning more that way. Can I be nasty or selfish or angry? Yeah, and I have bits like that. And then when I would do a bit about, like, you know, we're all in this together, and here's a technique that I found that makes me laugh even when i'm low and everyone's like yeah! you're like okay that's the feedback that's that's what i like that's what I, I think audiences should have a lot feel a lot of ownership over their comedians you know what i mean we can't do it in a vacuum and you're you're changing the fate of a of each other you know what i mean so that's why live comedy is so important watching it on tv is one thing but when you're an audience member, like, you're, you're voting in real time on the jokes that might make the special. I was doing warm-up sets for Dirty Clean the night before, and lines new lines were coming out, and they laughed. And I was like, well,
0: that makes the special now, mm. because they laughed. It's a fun thing. That, that fun dad bit, I've seen that cl- the, you did a set on Conan, which was like 10 years ago, 9 years ago, something like that. Yeah. And the one thing that really struck me about that set was how it's funny without being punchline driven. And part of the, the joy of watching it is in seeing you continue to improvise the details of yeah. being a fun dad. Right. Which aren't necessarily, they're not punchline driven details. The laugh comes from the observation, from the specificity of, right. of the observation. I, I think about that all the time.
1: Letterman, when they asked Letterman what he did for a living when he had a talk show, he said, I show off for a living. And as, as a soft comedian, I, I sort of, in the past, I would raise my nose at um, athletes. And now I'm like, we're all showing off with whatever we have. And sometimes the joke is just like, look at how articulate I am. It's just another way of being an alpha. It's just another way of, we're all just pack animals and you're kind of like, breed with this one. You know what I mean? Like, it's the same as... Hitting home runs or running fast or whatever the fuck they're doing—I don't know what they're doing—but you know you're showing off, and you sort of have to own that. And also with Fun Dad, the setup is you. That's my favorite kind of joke. Is it's so funny because it's you. You couldn't do that. I mean, maybe a junior youth pastor or something. I don't know. There's some. It's not right for you. It's (laughs) not right for you. But Fun Dad is why I got new faces. I did new faces ten years ago. And I got new faces because I said I'm a fun dad. I'm 100% sure of that. I auditioned six or seven times before I got it, and the year I got it was I said, I don't have kids, but don't I look like a fun dad? <laughs> and everyone, and I was like, that's it. It's not, even, it's not the best joke, but it, you go, oh, this guy knows himself. And I did it, again, another reason why comedians need to be around other comedians was Jordan Carlos got it the year before and I would say this if Jordan was here. He didn't kill. He didn't have a great set. I mean, none of us did. It was a terrible show. But he, <laughs> he went up and he said, my name is Jordan Carlos. I'm a preppy black guy. <laughs> and I was like, dude,
0: just book Montreal.
1: Yeah, I think we have one minute. They're they're you know, me. For we
0: me. have one minute, then, in which case oh, I'm, the, I'm the guest. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. This is a big question which we only have one minute to answer. And in fact, I'm not even sure if it's a question, but something I saw you quote uh, in the terms of your in the context of your book, comedy sex god. Uh, I'm yeah. not sure if it's a, a quote from like the. the Blurb on the back cover was a, a, a quote from someone Campbell, which is that inside the the treasure you seek is it the, inside the cave? Oh, yeah, fear that's just a the camp, treasure yeah. you seek. Yeah, 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 and I it struck me that that is I'm interested in how much that is your route for discovery is to go towards, yes, the, the thing that frightens you, dude.
1: So I reached out to Lululemon about sponsoring my podcast, and they were like, you should come with us because we love forging. Uh, relationships with our advertisers and come with us on a motorcycle ride through Yosemite. And I was like, oh, you've misunderstood. <laughs> and I was grateful to be invited, but I was like, I go in different caves. So the quote is, the treasure you seek is in the cave you're afraid to go, right? That is true. You know it's the treasure, being a comedian, when I, but, and you know you have to go there. That's why I'm like, you're compelled to go there. And some people are compelled to ride motorcycles in Yosemite. I am not compelled I am compelled to book shows that I don't think I'm ready for, and on the ride there, stopping at my friend's house to feed his cat and dry heaving, because I was so nervous about working the Cleveland Improv. That, that is a scary place. I used to wake up at 7 a.m. because I was afraid it was 7 p.m. Bill Burr told me that when he was driving to gigs, he would be, this is before GPS and everything, so we would all have like printouts of directions, He'd be looking for the the exit and he'd say he'd be looking behind him at the signs going the other way to make sure he didn't miss it going the other way. That's what it feels like to be a comedian. And that's Bill Burr, one of the greatest comedians in the fucking world, would drive terrified reading the the road signs going in the opposite direction because he was so scared he missed it. And that's me waking up at 7 a.m. afraid at 7 p.m. And that's a scary-ass fucking cave. And that's asking for uh, three holidays off, even though you're only supposed to get two off from Benigan's and you think you're gonna get it fired, but you have to open for Jim Gaffigan at Cleveland. And that, I believe, the first night of the show was December 27th, and it ruined Christmas. My whole Christmas was ruined because I was petrified. But there's something fucking on the wind. It's on the wind, it's in your blood, it's on your bones. You're not choosing it. If you say no, it'll wake you up, it'll make you sad, and it'll break you. You have to do it. And I don't care if it's the things that our culture values comedy, showbiz, fame. I wish for everybody listening and everybody here to find the thing that just makes you go, ah, yes, this, it had to be this. This psychology, this past, this skill set, these needs click here. God bless you. Thanks, man.
0: (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Pete Holmes. So that was Pete Holmes. Glorious, wasn't it? And he put a beautiful bow on his at the end and everything. Um, You know, that guy knows what he's doing. And I heartily recommend, please, just to start off with... If you watch Crashing or if sitcoms aren't your thing or you can't find it somewhere, get online and download a copy of Dirty Clean, his most recent stand-up special. It is extraordinary. And also, once you've heard it, it will illuminate and, you know, you can further your understanding of some of the issues we were talking about regarding that information and regarding those those, uh, thought processes that Pete is sort of reveling in there about... You know meaning and meditation and all of those ways in which he is uh, celebrating his connection to the universe just oh, like an almost ex- exhausting one to watch and, and thank you to everyone to, that came along to see that live there was uh, as, as ever here at uh, just for last there was uh, a room full of comedians who were very excited to be there and who I was very excited to see in the room. That's everything for now. I I won't do a post-amble at you because I'm about to get on a plane, but um, I've had a wonderful time here, so thanks once again to everyone here who has helped make that so great. Um, And, uh, yeah, good gear. Good good gear to share with you. Um, Is that everything? Thanks to Pete. Thanks to Dave Rath, Pete's manager. Um, Thank you to... Nathan Wood, who of course is the producer of the show, uh, podcast consultant Peter Dobbing. The music is by Rob Smouten, and this episode will have been logged by the time you hear it by Jake Crossland. That's everything. Who's coming up? is Edinburgh, Edinburgh stuff next. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to the airport and I'm going to sit there with a well-deserved quasi-alcoholic drink and I am going to assemble my own spreadsheet. If you're not in a Facebook ComCom group or on following this podcast on Twitter at ComComPod, then you might have missed spreadsheet day. But if you are going up to Edinburgh and are wondering what to see when, an incredibly efficient way to plan things is just to go to at ComComPod, twitter.com slash ComComPod and uh, look at the hashtag spreadsheet. Sheet day and you will see a variety of absolutely hyper nerdy carefully planned some people have planned the timing the distance it takes to walk from one venue to another um, in order to ram in i think the head of the leaderboard is kind of nine shows a day but it basically anyone who's done one of those you can tell those are all sensible decisions that have been made and planned by super fans of uh, comedy and perhaps of this show as well uh, and so you can just literally photocopy one of them <laughs> and uh, copy it wholesale and then creep around following actually don't do that <laughs> try not to unnerve people if you are going to copy someone's spreadsheet day spreadsheet wholesale at least try and wear different hats don't freak them out you know, don't make them think they're being followed no I mean don't wear hats in the sense of disguising yourself god this has gone far enough right to the airport and freedom goodbye <laughs>